Everyone that has participated in our service today, that includes you as you have uh, sung these hymns and uh, spiritual songs. We are grateful for music, and uh, I have the opportunity of being able to think ahead as I've been working on these messages, and sometimes these songs really, really coincide with what we are trying to convey. And so... uh, this morning, I'm, I'm asking that at the end of the service that we sing uh, Behold Our God uh, one more time, and I think you'll understand why as I finish this, this message. So all those that are involved with that, please uh, keep that in mind. We'll need the screen again, etc., at the end of the service. We are in Matthew chapter 27. Many of us have learned an adage that uh, really dates us, because it certainly is not in keeping with modern thought and idea. And that is that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many have heard that before, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, we have come a long way and we've ascertained and learned that words actually can be pretty damaging. Words can be pretty hurtful. Words can hurt. Words can have a real negative impact on our lives. No one likes to be ridiculed or made fun of. It is not pleasant to endure, to be sure. Sometimes we are helpless and we can't do anything about it. We could not stop it or make it go away, even if we try. Jesus did not like to be mocked or ridiculed any more than we did. And yet, he was able to stop it, but he chose not to do so. Instead of putting an end to the mocking that Jesus underwent, Jesus endured it, even though it was totally inappropriate. You know, one of the difficulties that we face in our society today is that not only is mockery bad, but certainly those individuals that are worthy of dignity, those individuals that are worthy of respect, those institutions that should be held in high regard are decimated by the way in which those institutions, those individuals are mocked, ridiculed, made fun of many times with no basis in truth or in reality. Certainly, Jesus did not deserve the mocking that he received. But this morning, we are going to look at lessons from the mocking that Jesus endured. Lessons from the mocking that Jesus endured. The first thing I want you to note is that the mocking that Jesus endured was universal. It was universal. Jesus was mocked by the soldiers in Matthew chapter 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And then, if you notice verse 31, And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. So the soldiers mocked Jesus. Jesus would be mocked by the crowd, verses 39 and 40. 
And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who can destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Then Jesus would be mocked by the Jewish leaders. Verses 41 and following. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And then Jesus would even be mocked by the thieves that hung on either side of him. Verse 44. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. All of these varying groups of people mocked Jesus. They all mocked Jesus. And it was not just that Jesus was mocked by some soldiers, but rather he was mocked by all the soldiers. Notice verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They gathered the whole battalion before him. A a battalion consisted of 600 men. A cohort consisted of 300 men. Were there actually 600 men present at that time? I don't know. The emphasis, when it says the whole battalion, I think is not on the number, but on the universality of it. In other words, this wasn't just a rogue group of men. This wasn't just a handful of soldiers who went a little too far. You know, uh, sometimes we hear about bad policemen, and they don't represent the majority. They don't represent the whole police force. But a few individuals sometimes get carried away and conduct themselves in a very unprofessional manner in a way that's not in keeping with their duties or their responsibilities. But on this particular instance, it's not just a handful of men. It's the whole battalion. It's the whole group. It's everyone that was there participated in this mocking of Jesus. There was no one who took his side. There was no dissenter. There was no one who was trying to combat what was taking place in this mockery of Jesus. There was not a friendly voice to be heard anywhere. Anywhere. The entire crowd, the entire chief priests, even the thieves on his left and his right were so emboldened that even they mocked Jesus. Now think about that. These individuals who were hanging on the cross for crimes that they had done, who were to be shamed, who were to be held in low regard, have the audacity to enter into the very same mockery that the crowd has directed not towards them, but towards Jesus and Jesus alone. There is a total lack of compassion here. 
One might wonder, where was Pilate when all this was going on? Last week we saw that Pilate was seeking to have Jesus released. But he acquiesced to the crowd. But Pilate is not to be heard from. No one is taking Jesus' side. No one defending him. No one thanking him. And certainly no one praising him. He was left to be mocked alone. The mocking that Jesus endured was not easy. Jesus had already suffered physically. If you look at verse 26, it tells us, Then he, that is Pilate, reached for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. To a scourging was the beating of an individual with a stick that had leather straps on it that was embedded with glass and with stones and anything that could cut open uh, an individual's back. And by Jewish law, uh, could not be ministered more than 39 stripes. Uh, think about a horse whip and somebody being horsewhipped 39 times. This was worse than a horse whip. This would lay open your back worse than what a horse whip would. And maybe you've seen pictures of slaves where they show the back of slaves that have been horse whipped. Well, Jesus was beaten. He was scourged. And the Roman soldiers were not limited the way that the Jewish law limited to 39 slashes. He could have received far much more. We know that he's weak. Later on, he can't even carry the cross but has to have someone to compel him because he's lost so much blood and he's become so weak from this beating. But after this beating, now comes the mockery. You know, you heard the old saying, you kick a man when he's down. This was kicking Jesus when he was down. After he suffered physically, now he's going to have to suffer emotionally. The soldiers were mocking their allegiance to Jesus as king. The scarlet robe, the crown of thorns, and the reed in his hand were all intended to be a cruel parody of his royalty. It was all made to mock his kingship. Jesus was made to look ridiculous as they made fun of his claims that he was the king of the Jews. They put a soldier's cloak on him, verse 28. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. That word comes from the uh, Roman cloak or garb that these soldiers would have worn. They wore uh, a red cape. And one of the soldiers put his partial uniform on Jesus to make fun of him. They put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head in place of a crown, verse 29. They put a reed, that's a wooden stick, in his hand, verse 29. Then they mockingly bowed before him. And kneeling before him, verse 29, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They did a fake obeisance to him, bowing the knee, but instead of showing honor and glory to him, ridiculing and mocking him. Then Jesus was made to suffer indignities. Jesus was spit on, verse 30, and they spit on him, They spit on him. I don't know if you ever had 
someone spit in your face. I actually did one time. I was talking to an individual. I was sharing the gospel, and they became so angry at me, they actually spit in my face. I can't tell you what that did inside. I, I, I was infuriated in a way that I had never, ever been infuriated before. I mean, I was seething when this person spit my face. It took everything in my innermost being to resist this land off and hitting that guy. It just welled up. Who am I? I'm a nobody. Jesus is the Son of God. And they spit on Jesus. And then they took the the rod that was in his hand that represented his scepter, and it tells us that they struck him on the head with it. This wasn't the first time that Jesus was spit upon. In Matthew chapter 26, at the end of the first trial, uh, the one before the high priest, tells us then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he is utterly blasphemed. What further witness do we need? You now have heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him and slapped him. So he's struck and slapped and spit upon after the first trial and again now by the Gentiles. Their mockery increased. They became more emboldened over time. The indignities grew as Jesus just stood there and took it. Made no defense. Made no protestation. Didn't say, I didn't deserve this. Didn't say that I'm innocent. Didn't threaten them. Didn't rebuke them. And didn't stop them, though he was capable of doing so. Now, we can read a passage like this and slough it off, but we need to be reminded that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And as fully man, to stand innocent before a group of people and to be mocked, to be made fun of, to be ridiculed, to be jeered, when you know who you are, you know what is right, and you have the power to put an end to that. But he didn't. Hebrews tells us this in chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross Despising the shame. Despising the shame. Of all the things that Jesus could dread or hate about going to the cross, 
What is striking to me is what is enumerated, what is clearly declared, is that the one thing that Jesus hated about the cross was the shame of the cross. For here is the one who deserves all honor and all glory and all praise. And he's receiving none of that. In fact, he's receiving the opposite. The opposite of that. He was a king. He deserved a real robe. A real crown. And a real scepter. And he deserved a real kneeling before him. And acknowledging him as their king. We should be, first of all, astonished by the mercy and grace of God. We should be really taken aback at the audacity of these soldiers, but even more so, as I say, the mercy and grace of God. There is a verse in 1 John that to me has always been striking which says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we have which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. We were able to see and touch Jesus. Here they spit upon and slapped Jesus. They ridiculed, they mocked him. If you remember in the Old Testament the story of the moving of the Ark of the Covenant in the time of David, Instead of moving the ark by the staves that were to be placed on the top of the priest's soldiers and and carrying the ark that way, instead they put it on the back of a new cart, it says. And as the oxen were going, they, they stumbled and the cart shook and the ark of the covenant teetered and Uzzah reached out his hand to stable that ark of the covenant so that it would not fall to the ground. And if you remember what happened was as soon as he touched that ark, he fell down dead. For no one was to touch the ark of the covenant, which represented the place where God's law was kept. God's law was to be so honored that you couldn't even touch the ark. How much more the Son of God should be honored and he is spit upon and he is struck. And he allows them to live. That is the mercy and grace of God. The mocking of Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. The Old Testament taught us that Jesus would be mocked. Psalm 22, verse 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Isaiah 50, verse 6 states, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid my face from disgrace and I did not hide my face from disgrace and spitting. Jesus informed his disciples that he would be mocked. 
And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And he'll be raised on the third day. Jesus knew that he would be mocked. Jesus was prepared to be mocked. But just because he was prepared for it doesn't mean it made it any easier. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 teaches us that Christ suffered for us. 1 Peter 2, 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. We often think of that suffering as his death on the cross, which was very real and true. But he also suffered in not only bearing our guilt, but oftentimes it's used in tantum of our guilt and shame. For we were guilty... And because we were guilty, we should be shamed. One of the difficulties in our society is because we have become so coarse to sin that sin no longer carries with it the shame that it should. People sin and lift their head high, rather being ashamed and embarrassed. But there is a shame that goes along with sin. And Jesus bore that shame. There are many who lie. There are many who puff themselves up. There are hosts of individuals who claim to be people that they are not. Claim that they make accomplishments that they don't make. That had to be paid for. And that shame had to be endured. And Jesus bore the shame of all those that have lied, all those that have puffed themselves up, all those who have claimed to be something that they are not, even though Jesus was everything that he claimed to be. As we think about application this morning, the mocking that Jesus endured was exemplary. Exemplary not just in the fact that it was so unusual, it was exemplary in the way in which we should follow his example. Jesus teaches us that we are to suffer and endure shame and disgrace in the same way that he did. Notice, listen to 1 Peter. For to you, this has been, <clears throat> for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. We are called to follow that example. We are called to turn the other cheek. And, you know, most commentators want to turn that into something that it isn't want to take that in a non-literal fashion. Do you really mean 
that if someone hits us on one side of the face, we ought to turn and give them the other side of the face. Yes, that's what it really means. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did. That's what he did. Why did he do it? Oh, there are many answers to that. It's myriad. Because I am limited on time this morning, I give you just one. One reason, as I say, there are a plethora of them. One reason. Jesus suffered redemptively. He bore our sins. Now, we can't bear somebody else's sin. We can't die in the place of someone else. But the New Testament and the book of 1 Peter in particular teaches us, however, that we can suffer redemptively. That is, we can suffer with the view of wanting to see other people's saved. And one of the examples that's used comes in 1 Peter chapter 3. You don't need to turn there. It says, likewise, you wives. The likewise is in the same way that Jesus suffered. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So that by your conduct, they're going to be convicted. And then, of course, it's broadened out much more than just just husbands and wives. It talks about government, talks about submitting to those in authority over us. But the idea is that we suffer with the intent that in so doing, people will hear. In so doing, people will be convicted. For they know that they have done wrong. Some of the most difficult teachings of Scripture center upon this whole aspect of willing to suffer for the salvation of others. How did Jesus endure this? What kept him going? Why did he submit to this mockery? One clue comes in Hebrews. It says, for the joy that was set before him, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He was looking forward to being seated at God's right hand. He was looking forward to vindication. 1 Peter 2.23 says this, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus kept saying to himself, God, you are just. God, you are righteous. God, you are holy. God, you are my defense. Though no one protects me, though no one is on my side, oh God, you will not fail me. He would be vindicated. He is vindicated almost immediately upon his death. Matthew 27, 54, same chapter, says this. When the centurion 
And those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. The centurion, a soldier. And the soldiers that were with him, the soldiers that were guarding Jesus, hence the soldiers who spit and ridiculed Jesus when he died, saw the earthquake, stood in awe and said, Truly, this is the Son of God. They were convicted. They were convinced. The final vindication comes when the earthly kingdom is established. Jesus is going to return to this earth. And when he does, the word of God tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not mocking, not ridiculing, not with a fake robe and a crown of thorns and a wooden stick in his hand, but Jesus in all his majesty, every single knee is going to bow. It's going to be vindicated. People, the word of God tells us that not only was it foretold that Jesus would be mocked, the word of God tells us that we are going to be mocked. We are going to be mocked. Matthew chapter 5 says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice! Rejoice! Now again, can that be done? Would anyone ever really do that? Acts chapter 5. The apostles. When they are reproached for naming the name of Christ. Acts 5.41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Jesus was not ashamed to be identified with us. We should not be ashamed to be identified with him. We're to follow his example. The way in which he endured mocking. You know, if you associate with Jesus Christ, you're going to be mocked from time to time. And yes, somebody at some point may even spit in your face but who are we? And we should rejoice because we're going to be vindicated. Jesus Christ is going to return. He is going to be glorified. He is going to be honored. So, two appropriate responses this morning. First, may we give him the honor and the glory and the praise. That's why I want to sing this chorus again. Think about it in response to Jesus' suffering for us. We weren't there around the cross, but we have the opportunity today to identify with him and thank him for all that he endured for us in order to save us. And may we make a commitment deep down in our hearts this morning that 
by the grace of God, we are willing to stand up and be identified with Jesus. That we're willing to go into our workplace, we're willing to go into our schools, we're willing to go into our community. We are willing to publicly identify with Jesus even if somebody makes fun of me. Even if somebody ridicules me. Even if somebody makes me look ridiculous. Jesus is worthy. And mankind needs people who will tell them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, even when they don't want to accept it. I'm going to pray. We have the uh, uh, screen come down, and uh, we're going to sing that chorus in closing. Let us pray. Our Father, we desire to give glory and praise to the Lord Jesus, and we are thankful that he was mocked for us. Thank you that he bore our shame as well as our guilt. Thank you, O God, that he endured it. And Lord, give us that sense of a future coming kingdom. Even as tonight we are going to be uh, speaking of praying for your kingdom to come. We long for that day in which Jesus is vindicated. We long for that day in which he's praised. And we long for that day in which we will reign with him. O Lord, give us confidence in the coming of the Lord Jesus. And may we give him honor and glory and praise that is due unto his name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.